Welcome to Arbor Bridge Church's weekly podcast with your teacher, Daryl Canty. Arbor Bridge Church exists to bridge the gospel and our community by connecting people to Jesus and each other. Visit us online at arborbridgechurch.com. Well, it's a privilege for me to be here, honor for me to be here. My name is uh, Roy Zettelmoyer. And uh, just tell you a little bit about myself, okay? So uh, I was the youngest, or I am the youngest of 10 kids in my family. And uh, my mom and dad, Calvin and Helen, had all boys, except for six girls. And... uh, Yeah, so we grew up in a time and place where for the first 11 years of my life, I lived in a house with no running water. I know you can't relate to that, maybe. But but that was my life, very simple, rural country kind of person. Life was simple back in the early 50s, quite different than it is today. So I met... uh, I met Jean in the 10th grade uh, English class. I sat behind her, and I noticed she was writing a letter. I said, who's the letter to? That's my way of introduction, because we had never met before. She said, I'm writing to Terry. I said, who's Terry? He's my boyfriend. I said, where is he? He's in the Air Force. I said, too bad for him. So we started to date in 10th grade, (laughs) and uh, at the age of 19, we were married. Nobody gets married at 19 anymore, but uh, we did, and uh, 40 years later, uh, Jean took the spiritual upgrade when she went into the arms of Jesus uh, in death. So that's a short, brief introduction. During that time, um, we had a lot of life together. And my, my, my point in going down this road today is to hopefully give you a bigger picture about life. You know, when we're young, we have so little experience. It's when you're young that you know the most, right? Yeah, and then when you get older, you realize that you don't know that much, at least as much as you thought you knew. So uh, I want to talk about this subject that's in front of you here this morning, the hope of glory. And thank you for that song about hope. Did you know what I was preaching on? You did. That was great. Thank you. We're living in a time where we need a lot of hope. But I want to talk about a different kind of hope with you this morning. Not what you are hoping for, but what God is hoping for. God's hoping for something. And he did a lot to demonstrate that he has a big picture in mind. He's got a huge picture in mind for your life, for my life, for your wife's life. For your husband's life, for your enemy's life, he's got a big, a big picture for them. 
in his mind, in his heart. The scriptures in Colossians 1, chapter 1, verses 24 through 27. I don't know if you can read that. Yeah, you can read that. The print's smaller back there than it is up here. Wow, see how I figured that out? (laughs) Colossians 1. I'm going to take this step by step. Verse 24 says, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. And in my flesh, I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's affliction for the sake of his body, that is the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known, the mystery, hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Maybe that scripture is very familiar to you. Maybe you've heard that thousands of times. Maybe this is the first time you've heard it. But I want to focus on the last four verses, uh, the last four words of, of verse 27, and that is the hope of glory. I first saw that verse, oh, I don't know, many years ago. Uh, but it's stuck inside of me like a big question mark. What does that mean? What does it mean? What is the hope of, of glory? So a few questions. What does it mean to satisfy the heart of God? What does that mean to, to satisfy his heart? Can his heart be satisfied? You know, God's got a big heart, right? You think God has big expectations? Can he be satisfied? Do you have the capability of satisfying him? Can you satisfy the heart of God? Next question. Is there still suffering that Christ is going through? Is Christ still suffering? Because verse 24 indicates that that's still in process. That There is something lacking still in the afflictions of Christ. And this was Paul's reason for why he could rejoice in his suffering. Because he knew, he knew something that I don't think many people really understand. Which leads into my next question. Have you asked yourself, ever asked yourself the question, why me? Has anybody ever asked themselves that? Why is this happening to me? Yes? Nobody? Come on, play with me here. You've asked yourself that question. That's a common question. You're going through a hard space. You just lost your job. Somebody in your family just died. You know, you got a hangnail. And you're asking the question, why me? Here's a suggestion for you. 
relative to that question. Maybe it's not about you. Maybe you're not even really going through it. (laughs) Maybe it's not you who are going through it, whatever it is. Maybe it's Christ in you who is going through it. Maybe there is still something happening in the life of Christ. What's interesting when we talk about the life of Christ, we usually, in our minds, we think of we're referring to a certain person. But what if if Christ was bigger than a person? What if Christ is bigger than just one person? What if Christ is really talking about the Holy Spirit, who is of God, from God, and in God? What if if that Christ in you is the same Christ that was in Jesus of Nazareth? Because I make a distinction here between Jesus of Nazareth and Jesus the Christ. Do you see what I'm saying? You have the Holy Spirit. That spirit that raised Christ from the dead has already started to quicken your mortal body. Romans chapter 8, verse 11. So may you understand that it's not you, but it's really Christ in you that's suffering relative to your sainthood. You're a saint, right? You're a child of God, right? You're loved of God, right? You're the apple of his eye, right? Yeah. You're the apple of his eye. He dreams of you. You are the focus of his love. But it's not for us to continue in our self-centered way. The focus of his love is that he might fulfill or find his hope fulfilled in you. The hope of glory. Here's a definition of glory I want to share with you. When we think of glory, the word glory, we think of brilliance and brightness and shining lights and just an explosive display of nature. It's glorious. The sunsets are glorious, sunrises are glorious, full moons are glorious. But the word glory, in terms of this relationship between God and man, this is how I see glory. Glory is the ultimate intention, God's ultimate intention going out to mankind and coming back to him fully realized. An example of that, remember when Jesus sent out those 70 into the, it was a a mission trip, let's call it that. And when those 70 disciples came back, they were rejoicing. They They were just so amazed at what God had done. And they were telling Jesus, you should have been there. Right? And what did he say to them? He said, Don't rejoice in the successful enterprise you've just come back from. Rejoice rather in this, that your father loves you and that your name is written 
in your father's heart. So when it comes back to giving God glory, obviously from that example, it wasn't about having a successful week or a successful mission trip, but really something about a right relationship with the Father. Glory, God's ultimate intention going out to mankind and coming back to him fully realized. And when Jesus, in the scriptures, when Jesus heard their testimony, he, 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 the King James Bible says he rejoiced in spirit. What that really means is he twirled and danced and jumped and shouted and said, yo, you know, people long before you have showed up have longed to see the things that you see and know, but God has shown it unto you, his babies, and you're seeing it. Like I said earlier, in 1965, when I met Jean in high school English, we got married at 1970 and born again in 1973. So almost 48 years ago, uh, I've been walking, knowing my father better. In 2010, February of that year, that's when Jean died, and I was single for the first time in my life. Single at 59 and a half, almost 60. You know how weird it is to feel single at the first time at the age of 60? That's a very weird feeling. No place to go, no reason to go, no reason to stay, nothing to do. It's really awkward, feeling like a fish out of water. But for the first two and a half years following her death, I started to see things in me that I was shocked by. I started to see my own pride. I started to see arrogance. I started to see uh, insecurity. And the big thing that I realized, Johannes, was I was full of fear. I was traumatized by life. I have never felt anything like that at all because before I was all so sure of everything. You see what I'm saying? But it didn't take long for me to change the way that I felt about life. My life that was bright, optimistic, upbeat. Oh, and by the way, I lived in a perfect world because I was pastoring in a church. I pastored churches for 35 years. And during that time, my God was white, Republican, And I knew all about him. Remember that for later because there's an important part that's going to follow that. And now at 60 years old, my lights went out. Terror filled the house. And I saw my arrogance and pride 
full of insecurity? How could I have been pastoring a church all these years with that inside of my house? That's a, you see what I'm saying? I didn't see it up until then. But when I saw it, it was the most painful thing that I could look at. Myself in the mirror of God's word. Myself in the mirror of truth. I remember one day when I, all of a sudden I had this answer come to my head about suffering and why suffering is so vital, why suffering is so inescapable. You ever heard the question, if there is a God, why is there suffering in this world? You should ask him that. He could tell you because he knows all about suffering. I learned that suffering is the price of love. You cannot love without suffering. And you cannot suffer very long without loving. It's like the hand in the glove. When I heard that message to my heart about suffering and how it is necessary and also the bottom line price for love, I began to understand something about truth. Truth. You know, you ever hear the expression, uh, do you know how it's true because I believe it? Or because something is true, you think you have to believe it? What if there was truth you couldn't possibly believe? I started to learn, along with the whole suffering and love relationship, I started to learn that truth's mission is not to confirm who I am. Truth's mission is to deliver me from who I am. It's to take me out of who I am. I remember after Jean died, I was consumed with Wanting to know the truth that I had been missing all of these years. One of the things that I was gripped with was the thought that perhaps I was missing something. (laughs) You know, I came from a place of being arrogant without knowing it. I came from a place of being prideful without knowing it. I came from a place of being insecure without knowing it. And that never trip, you're insecure and you don't know it. There's three categories of knowledge. There is, first of all, there is the category of knowing what you know. The second one is knowing what you don't know. And the third, most important category is not knowing what you don't know. And so I lived for 40 years in round numbers of not knowing what I didn't know and thought I knew it. In other words, there wasn't anything left that I didn't know, meaning I knew everything. And I didn't know that I believed that. Do you hear what I'm saying? I didn't know that I believed that I knew everything but didn't know it. You follow it? So truth, and I started to learn about truth. And one thing, because, you know, Jesus said, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall what? 
set you free. But that means you have to know the truth. And the truth is not something you really want to know. Hello? Because truth, again, its mission is not to confirm what you believe or confirm who you are. Its mission is to set you free who you are, from who you are. And that's very delicate, especially if you really love who you are. (laughs) Do you see the problem here? In other words, there's something that has to occur for you to know the truth about you. It's called suffering. God's mission is to really kill you. The death of Jesus Christ has really got to occur in your own life, just as his resurrection really has to occur in your own life. So if the Son of God is risen from the dead, another way of asking that question is, is he risen from the dead in you? Is he risen from the dead in me? Or am I still consumed about who I am and what I'm all about and what makes me tick? And so if you can put this next slide up, uh, Silver. Here's, I think, a masterful quote about truth. It comes from a woman named Marilyn Robinson out of her book called The Death of Adam. Truth. We routinely disqualify testimony that would plead for extenuation. That is, we're so persuaded of the rightness of our own judgment as to invalidate evidence that does not confirm us in it. Nothing that deserves to be called the truth could ever be arrived at by such means. In other words, a helpful hint for you would be to treat with reverence that which you do not understand. Treat with reverence that which you do not understand. An example in Exodus chapter 3, a man named Moses. <clears throat> He's, <laughs> get this, Moses. Did Moses know who Moses was? Moses did not know who Moses was. Moses was born at a time when the Jewish people, Israelites, were in slavery. And he was shipped down the river (laughs) to go into the house of Pharaoh's daughter. He did not know his Hebrew roots until one day he, as he came to power in Egypt, he was, you know, the prince of Egypt in in many ways. And... um, after he ran from Egypt, he came into uh, a territory of geography called Midian, otherwise known as the backside of the desert. And he marries this woman, and now he's tending sheep for his father-in-law, who is a Midian priest. And one day while he's out tending sheep, this is when he saw that burning bush. And what did he say to himself about the burning bush? The bush that would not be consumed? Did that make sense to Moses? What did he say? Man, that's stupid. I think I'll go have lunch. That's what this quote is saying. 
we routinely blow off testimony that doesn't make sense to us. And so instead of blowing that testimony of the bush off, Moses treated what he didn't understand with reverence. He said, let me go check this bush out. Let me go see what the bush has to say. What's going on? Well, he understood then that the bush had a voice. Whoa. When was the last time you heard a bush speak to you? That wouldn't make sense either, but it was there where he met the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That's an example of treating with reverence, which you don't understand. Which comes to a beautiful story. In um, 2012, December 2 of 2012, I met this beautiful woman here. She came into my church one Sunday morning, and in her style, <laughs> you know, Carrie will hug anything that doesn't move. And uh, I wasn't moving because I'm intrigued by this. When she comes up, hi, I'm Carrie. The next thing I knew, she had her arms around me. And I literally felt shocked, like a buzz. Ever feel that way when a woman touched you? I didn't get it. But I met Carrie. And uh, a year later, we were married. I asked the Lord about Carrie because Carrie's so different than Jane was. There's no one on earth like Carrie. And I said to the Lord, what about this woman? He said, this is what he said to me. I'm going to give you my heart through her. I said, say what? A little bit of arrogance left, Johannes. You're going to give me your heart through her? Sure enough, you know what? That's what he's doing. Did that cause me to suffer? Oh, yeah. Is it causing suffering today? Oh, yeah. Why? Because that's the price of love, you see? There is something about suffering and love that you can't find in a dictionary or an encyclopedia. But you will find it in real life if you're not afraid to go after real life. Suffering. Nobody wants to suffer. If you really want to suffer, that would make you very peculiar. You might need counseling. But suffering is going to happen to you whether you want it or not. Because it's God's goal, his mission in life, in life, that sounds weird to say it that way. His mission in your life is to bring you full circle and to satisfy his heart. And that can only happen through suffering. It can happen by having your life your way. You will never get out of yourself using that method. And you will never discover what truth is using that formula. Let's go to the last slide, uh, Silver. Let's go to this coming full circle. Jesus is our example in coming full circle. 
in this aspect of the hope of glory. His prayer in John 17, this is only just a few verses of it. But when Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you. Imagine Jesus saying to his Father, the time has come. Imagine you saying that to God, the time has come. That's a statement of unity with Father. The time has come for for you to glorify me that I may glorify you. And since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him, this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. This is a marvelous picture of an individual coming full circle in this cycle of glory. In other words, he was giving back to his father at this very moment all that his father had hoped in him. And what's interesting about, there's many things that we could, we could spend the rest of our lives talking about Jesus of Nazareth. But one thing that comes to my mind right here is that the scripture says in the gospel of John that he could do nothing of his own. He was a limited individual just like you are limited. He could only do that which the father allowed him to do or gave him the ability to do. I want to leave you with this thought. There's a lot here to digest, and we don't have time to digest it all this morning. A few months ago, I had this dream. I have crazy dreams. Anybody else here have crazy dreams? I had crazy. (laughs) Carrie, she's got crazy dreams. I had this dream where Carrie and my first wife met. Wow. That was interesting. I don't remember the details of it. I don't really remember much about it except that I know that it happened. And when I woke from that dream and I'm laying there in bed going, what was that? I got two words from the Holy Spirit. Two words. Zoom out. And get the bigger picture. That was very profound to me. 
zoom out because I have to understand everything, and so I have a tendency to be so focused on details, but God told me to zoom out and get a bigger picture so that I could see how everything is connected. I don't need to see the details. I just need to understand that God knows where I'm at. And it's not so important that I know where I'm at, but God does. Zoom out. Carrie likes to remind me of that from time to time. Zoom out. It's helpful to know that regardless of where you are, you're loved by God. Regardless of what you've done, you're loved by God. Nothing can frustrate the love of God in your life. Do you know that? Nothing. Nothing can ever frustrate the grace of God and the love of God in your life. We are inseparable. We are inseparable. Let's pray. Father, I'm asking you that this church, our church, can receive that which we do not understand, and that we can receive passion and desire to get a bigger picture in life for what you want in us and from us and to us. I pray that that you would give us the eyes to see, the heart to know, and the desire to pursue you with all of our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information on our church, visit us online at arborbridgechurch.com.